It is good to be back with you all after a couple of weeks being away. This morning, if you might indulge me, I would like to kind of put the sermon down and testify a bit. I'd written a sermon for you, and, I, and as the more as I was in my office this morning preparing to preach and preparing to deliver uh, God's word to you, it began to, to ring in my head what the Lord had for exactly what I've been struggling with and what I've been walking through. And I think probably if I've been struggling with it and I've been walking through it, maybe you've been doing it too. Maybe it might look a little different in your life. Maybe it might, might feel a little different in your life. Maybe it might sound a little different in your life. But I believe that our text this morning gives us words of hope. As many of you know, last year was, a, it was quite a difficult year for me physically. I had a, some health difficulties, had to have a pretty um, major surgery and was laid up. You all know I wasn't in the pulpit, probably the greatest seven weeks of the church's history, right? Uh, I was not here, was not able to be here. Had a long recovery, took about six months to kind of get back, back to normal, and things have been quite good. Things have, uh, things have been, I've been healthy, been feeling good, been doing the things I like to do, been doing adventures and flipping kayaks and doing all that kind of stuff. And over the last couple of weeks, I had stomach pain starting coming back. At first, I just thought, you know, that's no big deal, not just a little something I ate or, or, or whatever. And over this past three or four days, it really began to intensify. And I don't mind telling you, church family, I've told you before that sometimes I think when things like this are happening in my life, that the way, because the Lord built me and wired me as a preacher, that almost it's therapeutic. There's something about it that has to come out of me in a, in a testimony. So I don't mind telling you as my family that I've, I've, been, I've been quite scared, um, fearful. I've been wondering, am I going to be here and, and see my little girls grow up? Because, see, they didn't know exactly what caused my issue before. And so because they didn't know what caused it before, it was one of those things where they couldn't promise me this wasn't going to be chronic. They couldn't promise me this wasn't going to be an ongoing plight, an ongoing difficulty. And so it's always been kind of in the back of our minds that this is something that could come back. This is something that could be a reoccurring or, or chronic issue. There's something that could be a bit more, a bit worse than what we had first had, had feared. And so as, as stomach pains began to count, all of those thoughts come into your mind that this is going to be a debilitating illness or this is going to be something that's going to cause me to, to step out into the next life maybe a bit earlier um, than I had anticipated. And so, of course, you know, like most of the time, I haven't told Megan yet. I haven't told anybody yet. I'm like just, because I'm thinking, I'm just going to get better. It's going to get better. I'm going to feel better. It's all going to be okay. And it just gets worse, right? So eventually I tell her, and some of you I, I, have, I have talked with or called or something, and maybe you heard me being a, a bit frantic. Thank you for your grace. <laughs> Thank you for your, your mercy. But I end up getting a, a CT scan on, uh, on Friday, and, you, and I, I realize what some of you have been through that maybe I had not realized before. You're sitting in there, and you're in this tube, and you, you, you lift your hands over your head. And you're going to be drawn in. And you know that whatever that scan says determines the future of your life. It determines what your, your family is going to see. It determines whether or not you're going to be able to be the dad playing in the yard with your kids or if you're going to be the dad sitting in the chair while your kids kind of just kind of work around you a little bit and you're, whether you're going to be able to serve your wife or if the whole of your life your wife is going to have to serve you. It's the difference from being an 80-year-old man one day and dying as a 31-year-old man. 
So I'm, I'm, I'm laying in there with an awareness of that, maybe that I'd never had before, with my, my hands over my head, and I'm, I'm trembling as they bring me into this tomb. And the only thing I can see is Sarah's face, my youngest. And I know this sounds overly dramatic, y'all, but I'm sitting there thinking, she's not old enough to remember who I am. She's not going to remember her daddy if something happens. Thought, you know, maybe I, I thought the Lord called me to pastor Iron City Baptist Church for 40 years. I thought I was going to come in at 27, step out at 67, and be a generational pastor. Then the thing has come in my mind, maybe that's not going to be the case. Maybe, maybe physically I'm not going to be able. Maybe, maybe I'm too physically weak and unable to do those things. Because I'm not, going to I'm not going to stay on as pastor when my health limits me in a way that prevents me from doing the job that is necessary to be done as your pastor. So all of those things are in my mind and all of those thoughts are, are, are bouncing around in my head. And then I'm just thinking about just the, the physical grueling struggle of, of another surgery and, and another eight inch incision and laying up in the hospital and laying up in the chair and, and sitting there watching TV and all of those things that, you know, you just think about. It turns out I have colitis, which is inflammation of the colon. I do not need surgery. I don't have infection or an abscess or anything like that. We've got to figure out it could be an autoimmune disease. It could just be stress. It could be any number of things that kind of cause this thing. But I am this morning more aware of my weakness than maybe ever before. More aware of my frailty than ever before more aware of my need for a strength far greater than my own. More aware for a calm and a contentment far greater than my performance. See, most of my life I've believed that I, if I can just perform to a certain level, I can preach to a certain level and work at a certain number of hours and do a certain things at a certain level, then I can have contentment because I have worked hard enough to make sure all these things are taken care of. And I've come to realize that contentment like that doesn't last very long. And contentment that comes like that is fleeting. And contentment that comes like that can kill you. And so this morning's text, I think it speaks to this. This morning's text speaks to people like me. It speaks to people like me that sometimes can be self-sufficient and other times profoundly weak. It speaks, it speaks to people like, like you and I who go through this life aware of our frailties and aware of our struggles and aware of our difficulties. It speaks to you and I who are aware of our need for a power and a might and a grace and a mercy and a strength that far transcends anything that we can muster up within ourselves. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. We're just going to read three verses this morning. Matthew chapter 19. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? Matthew 
Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 13, God's inerrant and sufficient word says, Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his inerrant word this morning. You may be seated. You'll have to forgive me. I'm, I'm very uncomfortable not having my scripted sermon ready to go for you. Um, and we're just going to kind of walk through this time of testimony together. So the first thing that I really want us to see from our text this morning, the thing that as I was meditating on this text throughout this week that stood out to me most was how it speaks to the kindness of Christ. How it speaks to the kindness of Christ. So you have these, these parents, they've heard that Jesus is leaving Galilee for the very last time and he's on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to where he will ultimately be crucified for you and I, and on his way he goes through Judea. And having come into Judea, there are parents there that have heard about Christ and they have heard about the kindness of Christ. And they have heard about the goodness of Christ. And they have heard about the power of Christ. And so having heard about these things about Jesus, they decide to bring their children to him that he might pray a blessing over them. And what does Jesus do? We know what his disciples do. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. His disciples rebuke the people. His, his disciples turn the people away. But not Christ. Not Christ. Christ speaks up. Mark says that he is, he is, uh, he is incensed. He is angered at his disciples' rebuke. And he speaks over his disciples, let the children come. Now this is very similar to what Jesus has already uh, done in Matthew 18, if you'll remember. There was, an, there was an argument that had broken out among the disciples about who was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus called to himself a child. And he says that if you want to be a part of my kingdom, you've got to be like the child. And what does he say here? Bring me the children, for it is the children that are the kingdom of heaven. The children that are kingdom. He says specifically, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus does something kind of interesting, doesn't he? We're always taking our kids and we're pointing to adults. And we're saying, see the role model? Be like them. Be humble like that. Be Work hard like that. Be, be, uh, be moral like that. Be ethical like that. Jesus, with his disciples, seems to always be pointing to children and telling them, be like that. Be humble like that. Be dependent like that. Be vulnerable like that. Let down your guard like that. Stop being self-sufficient like that. Be like the children. And so you can see the kindness of Christ and his embrace of the children, can't you? So what is it about the children? What is it about the children that Jesus finds so appealing? What is it about the children that Jesus sees as being such a, such a role model, not just for his disciples then, but for us, his disciples now? The children had nothing outside of the kindness of Jesus. Nothing. 
They didn't bring to him a, a great name. They didn't bring to him great financial power, great intellectual prowess. No, all they had was, was their weakness. All they had was themselves. All they had was who they are. And so they just run to Jesus as Jesus instructs them to, just banking on his kindness. Nothing to offer, nothing to give, nothing to be. Just, I just coming to you because you've said, and I need your kindness. There, in, in Matthew 19, it's kind of interesting the way Matthew lays out the book. Because he tells three different stories. And I think what Matthew intends for us to do there is to contrast the main characters in each one. In the first story, the, the story that Zach preached a couple of weeks ago, uh, when they come and they ask him about divorce, you have a group of Pharisees. And Jesus tells them that their hearts are hard. And the story that, that follows, the one that will be preached next Sunday, is the story of the rich young ruler. The one that comes to Jesus and asks him, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus goes through the commandments and he says, I've kept these since I was a child. And he says, well, one thing you lack, go and sell all that you have and then come and follow me. And it says that the man goes away sad because he had great wealth. But the children stand out, don't they? The children stand out. The Pharisees' hearts are hard. But the children have hearts that are soft. The Pharisees are self-sufficient. But, but the children are totally dependent. The rich young ruler, he is, he, is, he is wealthy and he is extravagant. He has everything that money can buy except he doesn't have eternal life. He has knowledge and wisdom and possessions. The children only have Jesus. The Pharisees want others to feel inferior to them. The rich young ruler wants others to be envious of him. The children don't care about what other people think because they only need Jesus. The Pharisees were about knowing the law. The rich young ruler was about knowing the world. The children were only concerned with knowing Jesus. They were totally and utterly content and consumed and dependent upon the kindness of Christ. They had no fallback plan. They had no other option. They had no other idea. They didn't have a mansion to go back to. They didn't have a position of prominence and prowess to go back to. Only Jesus in that moment Brothers and sisters, as I was preparing to preach and as I was in my office this morning feeling particularly weak, I began to pray. As I began to pray, I began to, to pray and I, and I told the Lord, Lord, today the only thing that I have to offer to you is my weakness. The only thing that I have to offer to you is what I have, is the nothing that I have. The only thing that I have to offer you this morning is weariness. The only thing that I have to offer you this morning is, is fear and trembling. The only thing that I have to offer you this morning is anxiety. Lord, what can you do with that? And I was struck 
by the story of these children who have nothing but weakness to offer to Jesus. Nothing but vulnerability to offer to Jesus. And they go to him. And he celebrates them. And he holds them before all of his disciples and says, be like this. Brothers and sisters, I know I'm not the only one this morning feeling weak. I know I'm not the only one this morning struggling. I know I'm not the only one this morning that comes in and you're not really sure exactly why you're here. Look, I'm the preacher and I felt like I didn't have anything to say. You've got struggles in your marriage and you've got struggles in your family. You've got struggles in your health. You're going home and your future is uncertain. You may not know how you're going to pay the mortgage. You may not know where lunch is going to come from. Maybe you've just been unhappy. You've been unhappy and you've been lonely and you've been like that for a long time. And you're coming in this morning and you're thinking, I've got nothing left. I've got nothing left. My dear brother, my dear sister, can I just tell you that that's exactly the kind of man or woman that God uses? It's when we come to the end of our ropes. It's when we have no place left to turn. It's when we can't think our way out of feeling the way that we feel. It's when we can't work our way out of, out of, the, out of the, the discontentment and the difficulties that we're facing. It's when the circumstances are beyond our grip and beyond our hand, handle and beyond our ability. It is there at the end of the rope when we're ready to cling to the kindness of Christ that we will find how sufficient and good and gracious and contenting Almighty God is himself. So brothers and sisters, I know you're struggling and I'm with you in the struggle and I'm with you in the battle. But I tell you, we can rejoice in our weakness. We can rejoice in our weakness because the kindness of Christ is famous. The kindness of Christ is true. The kindness of Christ has been proven and we will know it eternally so. The next thing that I kind of want to point out is that the kindness of Christ is trustworthy. And you know, I told you before, it must have been that the decide, that the word had kind of gotten out about Jesus and his kindness was apparently famous where he'd went because how else, why else would these people be bringing their children to him? Why else would these people be bringing their children so that he might pray a blessing over them? They knew. They knew that Jesus would care about their kid. They knew that Jesus had something to do for their child. They, they knew, they demonstrate in our text greater faith than the very disciples that have been walking with him for two and a half years. These parents knew that Jesus could be trusted. 
And the kindness of Christ did not disappoint them. Jesus' disciples did. Jesus' disciples let them down. Jesus' disciples did not at all reflect the virtues and the character and the nature of the kingdom of Christ. They did not at all exemplify who Jesus had trained and discipled and taught them to be. But Jesus didn't let them down. Jesus' kindness was sure. And it was proven. And he spoke over his disciples to call the children to him so that they might see that his kindness, his goodness, his mercy, his ministry, his compassion is reliable and good and dependable. You know, you can't count on men, can you? We see that even with the disciples here. Men will let you down sometimes. And so often in our walk, we project things of men onto the things of God. We take what we know about men and we begin to imagine that those things are at the same time true about God. But in our text this morning, we see that they are not. They are different. Where man will let you down, God will hold you up. Brothers and sisters, Whatever your weakness is, whatever your struggle is this morning, you've probably been carrying a weight for a long time. I've told you before about my battles with anxiety. You've probably been, you've probably been carrying a weight for a long time, a weight of a relationship, a weight of, of just not understanding a circumstance that came into your life. Maybe it was miscarriage, or maybe it was divorce, or maybe it was health, maybe whatever it was. Maybe it was the sudden loss of your husband, or your son, or your mom, your child. You're carrying that weight, not understanding, not knowing what to do, and not knowing where to turn. Brothers and sisters, can I implore you, come to Christ with it this morning. Come to Christ with it this morning. I know you feel like you have nothing to offer. I know you feel like there's nothing you can do. I know you feel like there's nowhere you can turn. But brothers and sisters, I am telling you that the kindness of Jesus is true. It is reliable. It is trustworthy. It was proven on the cross. It was proven in the resurrection. And it will be proven to us for all eternity when the sky splits and the trumpet sounds and he calls us to himself. Dear brother, dear sister, don't hold on to your burdens any longer. Don't keep carrying that weight you're carrying. Bring it to Jesus. And I'm telling you that the kindness of Jesus will not disappoint you. It will not. I will. Your teacher will. Your husband or your wife will. But Jesus will not. He is true. He is who he says he is and he does what he says he will do. You can take him to the bank, brothers and sisters. Maybe this morning there are some and you kind of stepped into this weird family conversation we're having this morning and you're really not really sure what's going on exactly. This is like a, a carnival or something this morning happening. 
Can I tell you the same thing? Maybe you've spent your whole life denying Jesus. Maybe you've even worked to disprove Jesus. You've tried to convince your mind in every way that what we're saying isn't true. But the truth of the matter is, is you're exhausted and you're worn down and you don't know where to turn. You've met Christians that, that didn't look like Jesus, just like the disciples in our text this morning. You've been in churches that didn't act very much like Jesus. And they've let you down. Can I tell you that Jesus never will? Jesus never will. Bring your exhaustion, bring your seeking, bring your searching, bring your struggling, bring your sinning. Bring whatever rebellion or wickedness you can imagine. Bring whatever sorrow or sadness you're carrying. Whatever you have, my friend and my neighbor, come to him. Test the kindness of Christ and you will not be let down. The last thing that I want to see this morning, I think this is Jesus' main point. The kingdom of heaven is built out of people like you and me. Think about how strong God has to be to hold together a kingdom that is built from such weak material. I'm up one day and down the next. I'm excited one moment and sorrowful the next. I'm filled with joy in one minute and misery in the next. I'm filled with faith on one day and doubt in the next. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, it's children like that. People who are weak. People who have nothing. People who are up and down. People who are weak. It is that which I will build my kingdom with. You see, Jesus, the problem with Jesus' disciples here is that they fundamentally misunderstood the nature of the kingdom. They discard the children and they rebuke the children because their agenda and mission for themselves was we have greater work to do. We have more important things to do than to be a babysitter's club here. We have important people to talk to. We have important things to learn from Jesus ourselves. We have important missions to accomplish. And Jesus utterly dismisses their agenda to hold fast to the children. Yeah. Jesus builds his kingdom not with the sufficient and not with the strong, but with babies. With people that not, have nothing to offer, are totally dependent, totally vulnerable weary, tired, sad, afraid, sick, sinful. Jesus builds the kingdom with people like that. I wrote it like this. Jesus pointing to the very children that his disciples are rebuking says, do you not understand? They are my kingdom. 
My kingdom is not a place for the self-important. It is not a place for the self-sufficient. It is not for those who are strong and independent and resume building. My kingdom is a kingdom for children. It is a kingdom for those who are totally dependent and penniless. My kingdom is for those who have no hope and no joy and no desire outside of my own kindness to them. My kingdom is for the vulnerable and the weak, for the afraid and the discarded. My kingdom is for those with no stature and no standing and no independent significance. My kingdom is a kingdom for children. So brothers and sisters, this morning, whatever you're going through your mind and you're thinking this disqualifies me from joy and this disqualifies me from grace and this disqualifies me from mercy and this disqualifies me for forgiveness. Can I tell you the only thing that disqualifies you is if you believe you can fix it yourself. Whatever your story is, whatever your struggle is, whatever your weakness is, if you're at the end of your robe this morning and you have no place to turn except to the kindness of Christ, then let me implore you, my brothers and sisters, my friends and my neighbors, turn to him and be set free from your wickedness. Be set free from your weakness. Be set free from your struggle. Come to him. And taste his kindness. And you will not be disappointed. Now I told you I think that Matthew in chapter 19 wants us to compare and contrast the different characters that we see. And so you have the Pharisees who are on the theological witch hunt against Jesus. And you have the rich young ruler who's just trying to check all his boxes and make sure that his storytell life is all completed. And then you have the children. But I ask you this morning, brothers and sisters, who do you think is the happiest? Who do you think out of those characters has the most joy? See, we like the Pharisees think sometimes that we can find joy and happiness by finding more answers and doing more things, checking new boxes, following all the rules. Sometimes we're like the rich young ruler. We think we can find happiness and joy by buying new things and obtaining new stature and making new friends and being the envy of the neighborhood. But brothers and sisters, I would submit to you this morning that the happiest people in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus withstanding, is the children, the children that come and are embraced by Christ, that have nothing to their name and no qualification that would in any way stand them apart, but instead know personally the kindness of Christ. Stop looking for joy and happiness everywhere else, brothers and sisters. Find it in the kindness of Jesus. Find it in the kindness of Jesus. That is where joy is complete. That is where joy abides. That is where joy manifests. Let's pray together.